You're listening to Jewish Matters with Rabbi Jonathan Feldman. We're in the time of year between Passover and Shavuot, and the custom is to study Jewish wisdom for life, which is Perke Avot, the ethics of the fathers. Also check out our Jewish Matters podcast in top 50 Jewish podcasts. So Jewish life, uh, Jewish wisdom for life. Uh, Perke Avot, we're in chapter one, uh, the end, near the end of the chapter, number 14. And this teaching is in the name of Hillel. Hillel is noteworthy because basically the rulings of the Mishnah and the Talmud follow in principle Hillel as opposed to Shammai, who he was always debating and who we will hear from later. What did Hillel say? This is a very famous teaching. If I am not for myself, who will be for me? If I'm only for myself, what am I? And if not now, when? Now, each of these teachings can be taken on multiple levels. The most basic level we're going to learn today, uh, starting with, is if I am not for myself, who will be for me? What does that mean? It means I've got to stick up for numero uno. And Jewish values are charity starts at home. It also says that if one only has enough water to survive for one people, and there are two people, and I, it's my water, I'm allowed to keep the water and ensure my survival. I can altruistically give it to the other person, but uh, we look out for ourselves first. There's an idea behind that, that if I'm not taking care of myself, how can I reach out to and then help take care of others? That's one way to look at it. The way way to look at it, like you look at Israel, and we all know that Israel isn't so liked in the world. And even though we have friends and allies, uh, we don't rely upon them. We say, you know, Israel has to look out for Israel. So there is such an idea. But then we turn around and say, but if I am only for myself, what am I? So I've got to make sure I am secure, I am grounded, I am in a good place, but it can't just be about me. And if I'm only for myself, then what am I? I'm a selfish person. And that obviously is not what the Torah views as the whole complete person. So I'm not really a complete person if that's all that I do. So we have to balance off between taking care of ourselves, giving to others, and finding that right balance. Uh, The Talmud even says that one shouldn't give away more than 20% of one's income or of one's assets to others, because then I will undermine my own Uh, financial stability. So there's this balance. And then it says, if not now, when? And this is basically saying that um, now's the time to act. When there's something I know I should be doing, our Yitzhahara, our lower voice, gets us to procrastinate, to put it off. Oh, I'll do it later. And uh, it's the opposite. We should get right to it. I know someone And he tells me every day he takes his to-do list and he takes the hardest things that he wants to least do and puts them at the top and uh, attacks them right away. Can't say I'm that self-disciplined, but uh, that is the message. The important things get to it, especially if it is a mitzvah. Okay, the deeper level. Let's look at this on one level deeper. And these uh, insights are going to be from Rabbi Dr. Avraham Tversky, uh, recently passed away of blessed memory. He was not only a Hasidic rabbi, he was a prominent psychiatrist who did groundbreaking work in the area of substance abuse. 
uh, worked in a clinic in Pittsburgh, which was a Catholic clinic. There's a book, The Rabbi and the Nuns, a fascinating personality. And he has some very incisive uh, psychological insights. So we're going to look at his. So he says this. He says, if I'm not for myself, who is for me? What does that mean? It means if I don't have a sense of myself, then how can I function in the world? What, what, uh, what's an uh, illustration of this? The illustration of it is people who are codependent, right? People who become so close to others that they become dependent upon their relationship with the other. Why? Because they don't have a sense of themselves. So he quotes the Kuska Rebbe as saying this. He says, if I am me and you are you, then I exist and you exist. But if I am you and you are me, then neither of us exists, which means if a person is dependent upon others to find their sense of meaning, to find their sense of self, then they're not themselves. And they're not really looking at the other person because the other person is just their vehicle to uh, find their own sense of self and purpose. So uh, Rabbi Tversky says this, that we need to start with a strong sense of self-awareness of who we are in order to have healthy relationships. Because the person who doesn't will always try to please the other so that the other will like them. And therefore, they're not giving to the other person because it's the right thing to do or out of their really their altruism or out of their love in their heart. They're giving to the other person to get, uh, to get recognition or to get love back. And so uh, he says that we have to have a good sense of, a uh, healthy sense of who we are, our strengths, so that we can value ourselves. And here we get to an era of what we call, you know, a self, uh, self-evaluation, self-confidence, sense of self-worth, which is important, and also a healthy sense of what our weaknesses are so that we can work on ourselves and improve ourselves. So that's the first level. If I'm, if I'm not for myself, who is for me? If I don't know myself, then no one will. But if I'm only, uh, if I am for my own self, what am I? If I am for uh, anochi, well, so what is he saying? He's saying that often we view ourselves by certain criterion, right? Uh, view ourselves by, define ourselves by our careers, uh, by certain things we've accomplished, by the things we have, the fancy car, the nice house, whatever it is. And so when we look at ourselves that way, the I that we are looking at is not the true me. So if I'm only for that me who is my ego, then what am I? I'm not my true self. So he gives the example of people who have substance abuse. He said, addicts say that I have to have this fix. I need this. This is for me. And when it really isn't, because the Judaism we believe, the true me is my divine soul, not my lower voice. And so that person who is for that wrong self is not their true selves. And he says this, he says that uh, we do need some degree of ego, uh, but that degree of ego is not something we should be self-conscious of. In other words, just like we're not aware of our nose and of our ears as we go about our day-to-day lives, we shouldn't be self-aware of our ego. 
if we are too self-aware of what are people thinking of me, how am I dressed, how are they going to perceive me, then he said, that is not healthy. And if not now, when is really the same story that we need to get our act together now. And what if the path is to get help, whether it's um, a therapist, whether it's a friend, whether it's a spiritual advisor, says the path to fullness comes through acting on it now and making those changes we need to make to become whole in ourselves. Okay, that's number 14. Number 15, chapter one. This is Shammai, who was Hillel's uh, nemesis, if you will, or his study partner, uh, the person he could bounce ideas off each other. Hillel says, make Torah study fixed. Make your Torah study something permanent. Uh, Speak little and do much and receive all people pleasantly. Greet everyone pleasantly. Okay, let's look at each of these. Now, we've noticed that each of these teachings, almost all of them have a three-part series. So we've got to look at what is common between all three of these. What is the unifying theme that these three were put together? So make your Torah study a fixed practice. What does that mean? It means you should have regular, consistent Torah study. Why? Because Torah is the juice that drives the engine. Torah is our spiritual diet. And we are often in spiritual struggle. And if we don't have a steady, healthy diet of positive spiritual messages, we get dragged down by the negative messages of our society, by our lower voice. So whether it's uh, listening to a, uh, a podcast, uh, listening to a little blurb every morning, uh, having one weekly Torah class, Torah partner, it should be a regular fixture of our lives. That's always been in Jewish history. That's how Jews have lived. There's a deeper level, which is that we should make the Torah study the purpose of our lives. And the rest of the stuff, our recreation, our entertainment, even our professional life, that's really all secondary. Now, we spend most of our time doing it, but what do we value? What is really important? I have an important business meeting. Won't miss it for anything. I have my weekly Torah learning, should have the same prominence, even more. So, okay, speak little and do much is a very powerful message because first of all, we know that people who talk a lot often uh, are all talk, right? And not a lot of action and doing and following through. We also know that um, in, in relationship to the first theme, that when we study Torah, we do it in order to act. So Torah is not philosophizing about great ideas. It's how are we translating it into our lives? Because Torah study is not like university study. It's not gaining knowledge. It's not academic or intellectual. It's Torah for life that we institute in our lives and that we try and live. So speak little and do much and receive all people pleasantly. What does that mean? Um, So it means that, how does it relate to the previous teaching? That when you're minimizing your speech, right? When you're being wise about what you say, uh, because this famous quote of Eleanor Roosevelt, what did she say? She said, uh, higher people, greater people speak about ideas. Average people speak about events or things. And lower people speak about 
people. So um, minimize speech. It's that simple and make it about Torah, which is the fixed practice. And, but when you're doing that, don't neglect to still keep your connection with other people, right? If you're too withdrawn, people will think that you're uh, snotty or that you're looking down on them or simply that you're just uh, asocial. A uh, famous story, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenesky, one of the great rabbis of the previous century, uh, who at his funeral, there was a nun who showed up at his funeral. What was she doing there? So they asked her, they said, you know, glad you were able to come. Why were you here? And did you know the rabbi? And she said, every morning he would be on his walk and I would take my walk and we would cross paths. And every morning he would nod at me, greet me, good morning, how are you? As he walked by. So, and it says the great rabbis of the Talmud used to greet other people first before they were greeted. Now, you would think that most people of that stature would feel the opposite. Well, they should greet me first. But no, that's not the Jewish way. Okay. So, number 17, Shimon, his son, used to say, all my days I grew up amongst the sages, and I found nothing better for a person than silence. Study is not the most important thing, but the actions... And whoever indulges in too many words brings about sin. Wow. Okay, so this is expounding on this relationship between Torah, speech, action, one level deeper. So I found nothing better for a person than silence. And often we're in situations and someone says something hurtful and we're about to react back and we know that what we're going to say, we're going to regret. We know that it's said out of, frustration or anger or hurt, and often will just escalate things or make things worse. So it's saying, and of course, the tool is stop, don't speak, wait 10 seconds till your anger has subsided, and it'll be very different. So that's one dimension of it. The rabbis also say later in Perkyavot that do not try and calm a person in their moment of anger and do not try and console a person in their moment of mourning, right? So we always want to say something, think that we need to say the right thing. And sometimes the best thing is just not to, right? Person is in mourning. You just say, I'm here for you. And that's it. Because any explanation thing, trying to make them feel better you're going to do is probably just going to be off base and inappropriate. So hold your speech. Okay, uh, study is not the most important thing, but action. So this says explicitly what we were getting at before, that in Torah study, we say Torah study is above everything. But then we turn around and say, but we study in order to do. So here it says, the study is not the ikar, is not the point. The point is the study which will bring us to act in the world, to change, to be a better person, to make the world a better place. That is the goal of Torah study and to bring us closer to the Almighty. And whoever indulges in too many words brings about sin. Why? Because once again, Eleanor Roosevelt, people, lower people speak about people. And what is the danger there? It's called gossip. We call it Lashon Hara. You start talking about people, invariably people are going to comment, people are going to 
oh, that person this and this person that. And we think we're being smart or intelligent or having insight. We think it's a forum where we can show a kind of our understanding of life by commenting about other people's lives. And the simple tool is just to turn around and say, would I want people sitting there talking about me in this way? And 99% of the time, the answer is no. The rabbis even say that um, complimenting too much can be bad because you sit there talking about a third person, oh, they're so great. And the person next to you might start to feel bad or jealous or one need to put them down. So once again, uh, the best is to hold one's words. Okay. So now we have number 18. So here we have uh, a teaching which is very succinct. Rabbi Shimon Gamaliel used to say, the world stands on three things, on justice, on truth, and on peace. Justice, truth, and peace. So Rabbi Tversky said, what is justice? So he said, justice without truth is not true justice. He says, in contemporary society, how does the law system work? You have a prosecutor who's looking to bring this person down. You have a defense attorney who's looking to acquit them no matter what. And the judge is kind of the referee in between. No one is trying to get at the truth. When that is the purpose of justice, justice uh, moderated by truth or justice with the goal of getting at the truth. And he quotes a story that uh, a woman was admitted to his facility. She was living on the street. She was psychotic. She was in bad shape. She was cold out. She wasn't covered. And they bring her in and they're allowed to forcefully, the police brought her in. She didn't want to go in, but she would have died on the streets. And they hold her for five days. And then there has to be a hearing. So at the hearing, the state appoints a defense attorney. The defense attorney found a mistake in the papers submitted to, to have her in the institution. And so he gets it thrown out. And so they're not able to have this injunction. And he says to him, what are you going to do now? And he says, well, what can I do? I have to let her go. He said, you can't let her go. She'll freeze on the streets. Absurdity of defense attorney trying to get someone off no matter what, even if they know it's not good for them, even if they know they're guilty. So justice needs to have truth. And now we're going to talk about the interrelationship between truth and peace. Okay, so um, it's very interesting because people often say, you know what, I'm just saying it like it is, or I'm just telling something that's true, even if it's very hurtful, even if it's very destructive. So uh, there's a powerful midrash that informs this relationship between truth and peace. Now, uh, the first one is, Rav Muna says, that when justice is done, truth is served, and peace is, is achieved. So you need all three elements, but how do we balance between truth and peace? So here's another midrash. Rabbi Shimon said, when God chose to create the world, there were two groups of angels who chimed in. One of them said, create man. And the other said, 
do not create man. What was the debate? So they brought before God all of the qualities. So loving kindness, goodness said, create man because he'll do acts of goodness. Truth said, don't create him because he is drenched in lies. Righteousness said, create man, he'll give charity. Peace said, don't do it. He is someone who fights. So what did God do? It said God took truth, threw it to the ground. And at that time, the angels came and said, God, why do you shame the leader of your court? Because it said God's own signature is truth. And it says then, let truth rise from the earth. So what does this mean? There are many ways to interpret this. So the first one is this. We're going to say this, that uh, when it's between truth and peace, Judaism generally chooses peace. And the Talmud even says that one is allowed to hold back truth, even sometimes reframe truth in order to keep peace, in order to prevent fighting between people. And uh, the classic example is that there's a couple that didn't get along. And every day he'd ask, oh, honey, can I have rice when I get home? And she'd make lentils. And one day he'd say, can I have lentils? And she'd make rice. And their child saw this. So when the father was leaving, he said, tell your mother tonight I like rice. So the kid told his father, told his mother, dad wants lentils. So what did the mother do? She made rice and everyone was happy. So the father then actually said to his son, do not do this again because you can't do this regularly. It's not viable because truth is important as well. But generally the Torah says that truth wins out over uh, sorry, peace runs out over truth and one is allowed to change the truth in order to keep peace between two people, but only for that. And um, so that's one way of understanding it. The weather way of understanding it is that God has to bring truth back. So truth has to be lived, but it has to be done in a way that is peaceful and that is non-contentious uh, as well. So that is our goal to balance truth and peace, and to bring justice to the world. And through this, um, may these teachings bring us Jewish wisdom for life.